as some of you were raised on uh, the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed in particular, the one that, that, was, that was, has served since about 650 A.D., includes these phrases, he was crucified, he was buried, and he descended into hell. And, and there's some confusion about where Jesus was between his crucifixion on the cross, his, his burial, and his resurrection. And so that, that a common thought is, and according to some scripture we're going to look at, or the interpretation of some scripture we're going to look at, that Jesus actually went to hell for some reason as a part of, of his payment for our sin. And I want us to get a, a proper perspective on that. And in case you get lost in all that I say this morning, here's the punchline. You are either lost and bound for hell right now, or right now you are saved, a citizen of heaven, and you are bound for your home with Christ. There, yeah, there's no other category. Lost or saved. There never has been any other category. Forever, God has given people, since he gave us the, op the opportunity to sin, man chose against God. And since the fall of man, everyone has been born into sin. And given the opportunity to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, to escape that sin. There is no in-between, lost or saved. And so, at this, uh, let's look at a few scripture here this morning and, and talk a little bit about Jesus going to hell and, and what the, the proposed purposes of that were, uh, that was, purposes were. And, we'll, uh, and then we'll, we'll work off of that. I want to get back to that point, though, before we get through. Regardless of what time it is, we'll come back to no other choices. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you speak to our hearts. Because we don't want to talk just to make a point. But we want to talk to show your glory. Because your purpose is to reveal your glory. And so we, as your people, we who as people who are considering turning our lives over to Christ, we who, who some of whom you are calling this morning into your kingdom, we want to know who you are and what you are like. We want to understand your grace and your mercy, but also your wrath. And so speak to us from your word, and we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, some justifications for that, that part of the, the Apostles' Creed that, that became kind of attached in, in 650. Actually, before that, there, it wasn't in there. And then somebody added it. And it, it kind of stuck. And there are some versions of the creed that, that don't include that. But the most popular version does include that. And so we want to look this morning at what the Bible says about that. And because we are not creedal people, we're not governed by, the, by a creed, but by the word of God. Now, one of the, the references that is, that is used to, to justify the idea that Jesus went to hell is Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 27, 
Well, let me start up in 25. For David says concerning him, concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul in Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And that's seen as a quote of Jesus. And so his, there are some who would say, well, then, then Jesus must have really been in hell because David is quoting him. And our, some translations may have Hades. Because you will not leave my soul, abandon my soul in hell. Uh, that's also a, a quote of Psalm chapter 16, Psalm 16 and verse 10. You will, King James says, you will not leave my soul in hell. Another translation of that word. The Hebrew word is she, or the Hebrew word is sheol, and one of the translations is hell. And neither will thou suffer thine holy one, that's why we refer to Jesus, to, be, to see corruption. And Peter uh, translates or quotes the, the Greek version. And in the Greek, the word for that's translated grave or Hades or hell is, is the word Hades. Okay? And... Both the, the Hebrew word Sheol from the Old Testament from Psalms and the Greek word uh, Hades here used here in, in Acts can mean the grave or death and often are translated as the grave or death. Now in the context here, uh, the context is that, that Christ's body was, was raised from the dead, that he really was resurrected. And, and Peter goes on to say, look here. Our David, or before that he's already said, David is, his body is in the grave. Whereas Christ's body is not in the grave, it's resurrected. You don't, we can just take hell out because there's no reason for that to be a translation, in, the, in that translation. We're talking about the grave. And, and in his preaching about the resurrected Christ, Paul is saying, look at Jesus. He has, he's been crucified for your sin. He has paid the debt for your sin. And God has proven that, his acceptance of that and that fact, by raising him from the grave, as opposed to David. He said David is a prophet here because David is saying that Jesus is not going to be left in the grave. He can't be talking about himself. But the whole point that Peter is making is Jesus is not in the grave anymore. He's resurrected. Okay, so that's what what's Acts 2.27 is all about. Now, another... Uh, reference that's used as a proof text for for Jesus descending into hell is Romans 10, 6 and 7. I'm going to zip through these because I, I want to get on to the, the main point. But, but these, these verses are interpreted this way quite often. So let's, let's, let's work on them a little bit. In Romans 10... Moses, verse, verse 5, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So Paul, as he writes to the Romans... He says, there are some people who say, and, and this is a quotation from, from Deuteronomy 30, if you're looking at your notes. He says, there are some people who say, well, who's going to ascend up into heaven where, where Christ is? 
That would make sense. Jesus is, is God. He's now ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for us forever. He's our high priest, eternal high priest. But he said, okay, that it, it is possible that there was a time when, when some would say, while Jesus was in hell, who's going to go down and get him? But the whole context here is, those are stupid things to say. You don't need to say those things because what they indicate is that Christ is out of reach. Christ is never out of reach. Even though he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he is also near to us. He has never been too low for us to to access. As a matter of fact, a lot of times when... When, uh, I think in, in Deuteronomy, it, the, the context is in this being in the sea rather than in hell. But Jesus is always near to us. In fact, look up to, to verse 8. What it, does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That's the word of faith that we proclaim. Jesus' salvation is never beyond reach. He's not too high. He's not any place that you cannot have access to. So we don't have to bring him up. These are examples of silly questions to ask. Who's going to go there? Now, let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says, The grace... But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captive, he led host captive, a host of captives, I'm sorry, and he gave gifts to men. And verse 9, here's the one. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. So some would say, okay, that that must have been after his crucifixion, after he was buried, he must have descended into hell. Well, let's do a little work on these words. He did for sure ascend, but he didn't ascend from hell. The the lower parts of the earth, the new NIV expresses it this way, he also descended to the lower earthly regions. The lower parts of the earth. Let me, let me put it in, use another English phrase. I, uh, I went to the city of Houston. Or I went to the city of Chicago. Another way that I could say that is I went to the city which is Chicago. Or I went to the city which is Houston. And so another way of expressing this English phrase is that he descended to the lower regions, which is earth. Not the lower regions of earth, as if that's something lower than we are, but he descended to the region where we are. He descended to earth, and from earth he ascended. Okay, so there's no reason to interpret that as Jesus having gone to hell. The place of punishment. First Peter chapter three. Verse eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patient waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Let me, let me read that again. 18. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, comma, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey God when God was patient in the days of Noah. So some interpret that as Jesus, our Lord, has, uh, has been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, and while he was in that spirit, having been made alive, at, alive after his physical death, then he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Then he went and preached to those who had, had disobeyed during the time of Noah, while Noah was building the ark. And so he must have gone to hell to preach to them. Well, let's work on this, work on the English here a little bit. For one thing, there's, there's just some irrationality about that. Because what that says is that Jesus, after his, 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 his crucifixion, while he was dead, he went somewhere just to preach to those people who were, who were rebellious when Noah was building his ark. That was everybody but Noah and his family, all but eight people. But still, in, the, in the, the count, in the population of the whole world up to that time, when, when, when Peter is writing, that little section of people who were disobedient while Noah was building the ark is a pretty small portion of all the disobedient up to that point. Why would Jesus just go talk to those knuckleheads? That doesn't make sense. Okay, so you, you, it doesn't say, I mean, Peter's not saying that he went and talked to everybody. He just went and talked to those people who were disobedient during Noah's time. Or that's an interpretation of it. While, while Noah was building the ark. That'd be a pretty small group in hell. Why just those? And why would he go talk to them? Would he go to talk to them just to go, Nanny, 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 you're in hell. I don't have to stay here. That is not the character of Christ. Because Ezekiel says, God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Jesus never goes nanny nanny to anybody who is in eternal punishment. Whether they got there because they didn't listen to Noah or they didn't get there because they didn't listen to God's preacher these days. Didn't listen to his spirit. So that doesn't work. Did he go there to give them a second chance? Nay, nay. There is no second chance. Remember when Jesus talked about, about death and, and punishment? He talked about the, the rich man and the poor and the beggar Lazarus. He said the rich man opened his eyes in torment but the, when, they, when he died. But when Lazarus died, he opened his eyes in, in the bosom of Abraham, in the presence of God, in the presence of Christ. And, and, and the rich man said to Abraham, Send Lazarus over here with just a drop of water for my tongue. And Jesus said, through Abraham at that time, that Lazarus cannot come to you because there is a great chasm fixed between the place of punishment and the place of blessing and eternal glory with God. 
There's no passing back and forth. There is no second chance. There's no second chance for even a, a, a relief from the flames. There's no second chance. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed on a man once to die and then the judgment. To die once and then the judgment. Not, not to have a review later on. Hebrews 10, 26, 27 says, Anybody who has rejected Christ, they've heard about Christ, and they turned away from him, there is no other sacrifice. And so Jesus did not go to preach to these people who had rebelled against the word of God in Noah's time to offer them a second chance because nobody gets a second chance. You with me? And in the context of, of what Peter is preaching here or writing about in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 is he's talking about talking to people who are suffering for the sake of Christ. And if he's saying to them, well, you, you know, Jesus went down and gave these, these other guys a, a second chance, maybe you want to just go along with your persecutors and not suffer so much and when you get to hell you can, you can get, find your, your, your get out free card. That doesn't work. That wouldn't encourage anybody. So the context, taking it, taking it in that way would, would take it out of the context of where it's being spoken. Now, so some of others say, well, then he was talking to the fallen angels. Have you ever heard any of these things before? They've probably been in Reader's Digest. <laughs> Maybe he was talking to fallen angels. Some believe that that would fit in, into the context of, of Peter's dealing with the suffering of the people because they would say, well, then he went to preach to, to the demons and probably just to say to them, y'all really blew it. And that would encourage his audience that he's writing to now because they're suffering and, and in effect he would be saying, now this, this takes a little reasoning when you're in, in suffering, but you're really being persecuted not by, by humans but by humans who are influenced by demons, by bad angels. And there are bad angels who are being punished now in hell. And so you can be sure, even though you're suffering now, eventually those bad angels are going to be uh, suffering in hell too. And so, you know, just chill out. Everybody's going to suffer sooner or later. Good guys, bad guys, whatever. That, That doesn't work either. The best explanation for this... It's what Augustine and I say. Augustine said it first. And some people call him Augustine. He used to be Augustine, but now he's Augustine pretty much. is a popular way of saying it. But the way that he interprets this, and I believe what, what best fits the context and makes the most sense for what we know about, about who Peter is writing to, the, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, and what we know about what Jesus did on the cross and what he promised on the cross and what he said on the cross is this. Look at it again. 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's a good place to stop right there. Jesus was put to to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit, and eventually his body was resurrected too with a resurrected body. But that spirit that that was returned to him after his crucifixion was the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the people in the day of Noah who are now 
in prison in hell because they rejected the preaching of Noah who preached in the spirit of Christ in his day. So what he is saying is Jesus is eternal. Jesus is spirit. He is God. He has always been. And in the day of Noah, when Noah was building the ark, Hebrews called Noah a preacher of righteousness. He preached, apparently, and he preached in the spirit of Christ, which is the only spirit of salvation and eternal life. See that theme come back around? There's a spirit that calls you to death, and there's a spirit that calls you to life. And the spirit that calls you to life is the spirit of Christ. And that is the spirit that Noah preached in You could say that Jesus preached through Noah and the people that he preached to, all but eight of them rejected that message. And so all but eight of them are suffering eternity in a prison we call hell. So now those who rejected the preaching of Christ are suffering in hell. No second chance. No wagging his head and sticking his tongue out at them. So now let's let's go while we're here in Peter, let's go across the page. If yours is arranged like mine. To Peter chapter four and verse six. Where Peter writes, We're stewards of grace, and this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. This is verse 6 of 1 Peter 4. That's why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way uh, people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. What that says is everybody who is now dead and, and dead in Christ, or dead apart from Christ, are being punished legitimately legitimately because everyone has had an opportunity to come to God. Those who are dead in Christ are are celebrating life in Christ because they accepted Christ. Those who who died apart from Christ are being punished because they rejected Christ. But Christ was preached to the people before the time of this writing and Christ is still preached to people during the time of Peter's writing and Christ is still preached to people today. You with me? Okay? So none of those verses back up that idea of Jesus having gone to hell. Another thing that refutes Jesus having gone to hell is his word from the cross in Luke 23, 43. That was read. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, some people say, well, paradise is a different place than heaven. And so, you know, maybe paradise is part of hell, part of Hades, part of that that holding place for the dead. Well, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, (coughs) 
click there. I didn't mark it. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Talking, Paul talking about being caught up. Well, verse 3 says, And I know a man that was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know which, God knows. He heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. That is a description. Well, I need to go up to verse 2, I'm sorry. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that man was caught up into paradise. You see that? He was caught up into heaven. He was caught up into paradise. That's the same place. Revelation 2.7 talks about the tree of life being in paradise. And then later on, he says, and that tree of life in, verse, in chapter 22, it says that that tree is in heaven in the New Jerusalem. It's the same place. When Jesus talks about paradise, he's not talking about some section of Hades where people go to be held until something works through. He's not talking about limbo. He's not talking about Tartarus. He's talking about heaven. Paradise is heaven. When he told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me, he was saying, today you will be with me in heaven, in glory, because you have put your trust in the one and only Savior. That's how you get to heaven. When you put your trust in the one and only Savior, who is Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. There is no proving time. When I was in the army, I started out as a buck private. I didn't even have any stripes. And I hung around that, that, that organization for a couple of years, and by the time I got out, I had, again, no stripes. I had this upside-down teardrop kind of a thing because I was a, a, a spec four. But I was also an acting, acting sergeant. I was an applejack, acting jack. And that means I could, I could pull CQ duty. I could stay awake all night while everybody else slept in the barracks. And I su suspect that had I stayed with us Army, I would have advanced even more. I never would have gotten to be Army himself, but I, I would advance. A lot of people think that that's how salvation works. You start out as a buck private, you get in, you're just barely in, and then you get more and more saved. Y'all, that's not the case. The one who comes to Christ this day by praying and speaking into, from his heart, I put my trust in Jesus Christ, is just as saved as the one who is here, who has known Christ forever, studied the Bible forever, been faithful to Christ, led people to Christ. Salvation is salvation. Now, there are degrees of reward, but nobody is more saved than anybody else. From the cross, Jesus said to the thief, Today you are saved. You'll be with me in heaven. Now, some people say, well, Jesus must have gone to hell because he needed to suffer more suffering than was available on the cross. Jesus didn't need to suffer anymore. He paid the total price. Matter of fact, when he breathed his last, last breath, he said, it is finished. Well, not on his last breath. He said, in, in in the hands I commend my spirit. 
But he said, it is finished. He didn't say, it's nearly finished, and as soon as I get out of hell, everything will be good. It's finished. Jesus completed the work of salvation on the cross. All that was necessary was accomplished on the cross. There wasn't more suffering that was needed. He paid it all. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he talks about people who have a debt. He says, when you come present your offering and you realize that you have a conflict with someone, you need to go make that right right then. Otherwise, he said, you need to do it promptly. Otherwise, he may turn you over to the authorities and they may put you in prison until the last penny has been paid. You remember that story? Well, let's apply that to who we really have a conflict with, and that is God. Every one of us. When you come and present your offering, there are some people who say, this is going to make me right with God because I've given the right thing in the right way, and so everything's cool now. I have done the, I have taken care of tradition. I have taken care of the ritual, and so God owes me salvation. Well, if the Spirit speaks to you when you have that attitude, He will say, no, you haven't. There's still some work you need to do. You need to go to God. And God will say, come to Jesus. Come to me through Jesus. And anybody who doesn't do that, and He says, you should do it quickly. Otherwise, you may run out of time and you may be cast into prison, which is hell, and you will be there for how long? Until the debt is paid completely. I don't know how many people are in hell. But I can promise you, nobody has gone there and paid the debt completely and been released because, okay, you've been here long enough. You have burnt long enough. You have hated long enough. You have been hated long enough. You've been separated from the grace and mercy of God long enough. And so now, you get out. You get to go to heaven. That's never paid. The only person who paid the last penny of that debt was Jesus Christ on the cross. And me and you, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Because that payment was counted to you and me who put our trust in Christ. That's the reason to say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. So the people who have paid the final penny are not in hell. They're in heaven or they're citizens of heaven like us. I think that's cool. But Jesus didn't need to go to hell to make that payment. That payment was made. And he said to the thief on the cross, Today, it's paid. Today, you are in like Flint. Now, another reason that I know that Jesus didn't go to hell after the cross is because Jesus cannot go to hell. God cannot go to hell because God, Jesus, God... The Godhead is already there. We mentioned this last week. What makes hell, hell is not the absence of God. Because God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And being in hell is not being separated from God. Being in hell is being in that presence of God's wrath unmitigated wrath, unadulterated wrath, wrath that was poured out on Christ on the cross. And wrath that says forever, 
There's no escape. The presence of God, apart from His mercy and His grace, that's hell. And so Jesus didn't need to go to hell. Jesus couldn't go to hell because Jesus is always there. God is always there. Amen? You with me? Now the place, Hades, Tartarus, Limbo, a place, some people say, well, there's a place in paradise, a place called paradise, a place called Abraham's bosom, a place called Hades inside of, of or next door to hell where the punishment is, and that's where the Old Testament saints went who had faith in God, but they had to go there and wait for Jesus. then that means they were in some condition that was not exactly saved. They had put their trust in God. We're talking about Moses and Abraham. What does the scripture say about Abraham? He believed in God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is taking God at his word, operating in, the, in the, the word of God, the truth of God, which is salvation. And the only way to be saved is through whom? Jesus Christ. So those people in the Old Testament, even though they may not have understood the concept of Jesus Christ, they believed God, they took him at his word, and it's God says specifically, Paul wrote it three times, well, twice in, in his, his writings, and then James wrote it again. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. He was saved. He didn't need to go to some waiting place. He got on the bus when he put his trust in Jesus Christ and he went to heaven. Or he was a citizen even before he died. There is no other option. He was not kind of saved. He was either saved or he wasn't. And if he wasn't saved, then God is unrighteous in allowing him to hang out somewhere other than the punishment of hell. You with me on that? So Jesus couldn't have gone to hell because he's already there. Jesus couldn't have gone to, to, uh, to Hades or, or paradise or Abraham's bosom because those places, if they're not heaven, do not exist. By that, you can, you can chew on that. That's why I write the notes. You can go home and work on it. Okay? So now let's, let's get Abraham and, and Moses and David saved. We know those are righteous men. God called God Moses the most humble man. He spoke to him face to face. He called David the man after his own heart. He said of, of Abraham, he believed and, and God counted unto him his righteousness. So those three, and there were others who put their trust in Christ, but those are good examples. Well, how about, well, how could Abraham been, have, have been saved before Jesus was crucified on the cross? Well, maybe we need to go back a few verses. Back to Genesis chapter 3, where God is pronouncing curses on folks, pronouncing punishment on folks, but what he says to Satan is that the seed of the woman is going to bruise his Head. He's talking about salvation through Jesus Christ. He's announcing that Christ is coming, that sin is going to be dealt with from the, from the beginning of his communication with folks. So when was Christ crucified? Well, Revelation says that he was the lamb who was 
crucified before the foundation of the world. Now, when God says something, when does it become true? Right then. You know what Jesus said about Abraham? He said, it's in John eight fifty six. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. That's past. When Abraham put his trust in God, he saw the day of Jesus' crucifixion to pay for his sin. He saw the day of Christ's resurrection as proof of God's acceptance and Jesus' power over sin, death, and the grave. It was in effect when God thought it up. And so everybody at any time in history who put their trust in God, put their trust in Jesus Christ. And so there was no need for a holding place for these guys to hang out. Because they get to go to God. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you believe God, take him at his word, you have eternal life right then. And nothing can take it away from you. Now, there's one more thing. It's, it's not in your notes. You might make a, a note of this verse. It's Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. Now, we're, we're familiar with, with Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier the one who has, for the one who has faith in Jesus. Does God ever pass over sins? Does God ever leave the guilty unpunished? Not according to Exodus 23 and 7. God never acquits the guilty. Nahum 1.3 again. God never overlooks guilt. He is gracious, he is, he is merciful, he is patient, but he never lets sin go unpunished. And so that cannot be the meaning of this, that at some time God overlooked sin. But it appeared that way to the angels who were watching, and they saw God say to Abraham, I count you righteous. Even though he was born in sin, and therefore he was condemned, but God, without any payment, without Jesus having died on the cross yet, physically, he said, I, I give you righteousness. The angels are saying, behind God's back, God's playing favorites here. Same thing with Moses, same thing with David. What's God doing? Well, what God was doing, the angels didn't understand. That's part of the mystery of salvation that they were so glad to see revealed is that God had already counted Christ crucified to pay for sin. And when he said to, to Abraham, I count you righteous, he was counting him righteous because of what was already proclaimed and had yet to be carried out. But it was as good as done. When God says something, it's done. 
And so to the angels, it, it, it says, Jesus was put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, the kind of faith that Abraham showed, the kind of faith that Moses showed, the kind of faith that David showed, to show that God is righteous and, and his forbearance was not overlooking sin, but it was seeing the sin already paid for. Because there are only two choices, y'all. Your sin is either paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, or your sin will never be paid for as you suffer for it eternally in hell. Jesus crucified demonstrated the actualization of that promise that God made in Genesis 3. There is no one today, there has never been anyone who is neither saved completely nor lost completely. There is no category of nearly saved or sort of saved. There is no category of existence of not saved but not lost. Every person, every spirit falls into one of two categories, saved or unsaved, living or dying. Today, you are either lost and bound for hell or saved and a citizen of heaven bound for home. And the good news is that if you are not saved today, you can't be saved. Completely saved. And so I offer that to you. If you understand that you are lost, I want you to understand that you are totally lost. If you were willing to be saved, you will be saved by putting your trust in Jesus Christ and saying he is the only way of salvation. I may not understand all the theology, but I need a Savior, and I put my trust in him alone, knowing I cannot save myself, and there's no other category other than lost or saved. Save me, Jesus. You say that to him from your heart. You say, well, I, I don't want to do it after a sermon like this. It sounds like I'm just afraid. There's reason to be afraid. Come to Jesus.